welcome to Smart Women Watch, a podcast where two sisters talk about all the things that we've been watching and listening to and reading. I'm Lindsay. I'm Laura. And today we are talking about the Hulu series, Looking for Alaska, and in conjunction with the John Green book, Looking for Alaska, which that series is based on. So spoilers for all of those things. Fact. Eight episodes and one full book. If you haven't read or watched, maybe you want to come back at a later date. You read the book. I did read the book. When? I read the book back, oh God, I would say in the late 2000s, maybe 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. So I was notably removed from high school at the time I read it. You were not 16. I was not 16. (laughs) I was not a precocious 16-year-old reading this book. I didn't necessarily relate to, at that point in my life, some of the angst that the teenage characters are going through in this book. When did you read the book, Lens? I think I was like a precocious 19-year-old-ish when I read the book. So the first time I read it, I remember feeling really connected to this, like a five-star good read for me, for sure. Um, John Green was speaking to your soul. Yeah, yeah, he was. I felt really like I could relate to Alaska and like these experiences. The fact that Pudge loved last words. I loved all these like John Green quotes. Like if people were, what is it? If people were rain... I was drizzle and she was a hurricane. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I love that. And then, so I, I reread it again this summer as a 28-year-old. Um, I picked it up in a hostel in Thailand when it was one of the only English books on the shelf. My favorite books in a hostel yeah. in Thailand. And I reread it and I did not feel as strongly about it now as a 28-year-old. Definitely was rolling my eyes a lot more. That is fair. Yeah. <laughs> so we, me and Laura went to um, a convention called BookCon in New York City in June and we went and we saw a panel that had on it John Green, Josh Swartz and Stephanie Savage who are the two producers of this show and also had the two actors who played Pudge and Alaska were all on this panel. Yeah, and Lindsay and I love books. Like, we were very excited to be at BookCon. We went from panel to panel, and... And John Green's a big name. He is. He's a really big deal. This panel was packed. The place was packed. Everyone was excited for it. It was maybe the highlight of the day. He was, I would say, one of the keynote speakers. For sure. For sure. And we went into this panel, and John Green and Josh Savage, and sorry, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage were fantastic. They were on their games. But Charlie Plummer and Christine Froseth, who play Pudge and Alaska, were so low energy. I was shocked that these people are in the acting industry. What did you think, Lynn? They were awkward. They were just really, the whole panel was awkward. And they actually screened for us maybe a 10 minute clip of the first episode of Pudge and Alaska interacting for the first time. And the whole thing not just the show, but coupled with these two actually on stage talking about their experiences of being actors on the show was really, really cringy. Yes, that's the exact word for it. Yeah. And so anyway, I think that just like that, seeing that in June may have colored a bit of my feelings on the show. It definitely influenced my experience watching the show. Yeah. Was that I didn't think these kids were particularly charming in real life. Yes. But as the show went on, I mean, I do think I liked them more than I was expecting to. After that panel, I was like, oh, this whole show is going to be cringy. Yes. But I didn't really think that, I mean, the show is a little cringy. Um, but I felt myself like rolling my eyes more than cringing here at the precocious teens. 
Yeah, and not particularly at the actors in general, more at the way the they are written. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, the show is, like the book, set in 2005. Mm-hmm. And to me, it is very true to that time period. Do you see it as a period piece? Yeah, I do. You know what? It's also funny. I didn't picture the book being set at such a summer camp. I I didn't picture boarding school looking like a summer camp. Yeah. Fact. We did not go to boarding school. We went to public school. Yes. (laughs) And it sure didn't look like that. No. And I feel like most of the other boarding school um, fiction that I read, boarding school doesn't look like that. So that was like an interesting thing. That's true. I think a lot of boarding schools are up. I think of them as like in like New England, in like the dark dreary rain or like a New England fall. I never think of like the American South. Right. Which was really interesting. And I mean, I think part of the biggest period piece of this, aside from what they were wearing, um, was really how they communicated with each other. Um, Payphone was a really big part of the storyline here. Perhaps a bigger story in the book. But the payphone was definitely a relevant thing. Mm -hmm. Alaska gets that fateful phone call on her last night that she's alive. And they don't have cell phones. Nope, no cell phones. So Pudge has to call home every week to his parents. Like, those sort of things really made it feel like you were in 2005. Yeah, and I really feel like that act of not having communication with the outside world like you talk to your parents once a week on a cell phone on us on a payphone for 20 minutes you know that is just not how the world interacts anymore so that really insulates these kids into each other and that actually makes me feel a little bit better about it when I think about it because the reason these kids are so into each other's lives is they're they don't have other lives. They are not talking to their parents back home. They're not reading newspapers. They are they are just in it with each other, and that's it. There is no outside world to them. That's true. So they're very present in the moment. Mm-hmm. So being precocious teens with each other is, is all they have. Yeah, you know, maybe it makes me feel a little bit better about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these producers, um, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, are also the same producers who produced The O.C., which I think is really interesting because that's another show that actually came out around 2005 and was set in 2005 about teens. Obviously, they were rich teens living in California. And full disclosure, we loved The O.C. Loved when it came The out. O.C. Oh, my God. How many times did we sing the theme song to each other? Yes, that show that show's amazing. Yep. Welcome to The O.C. Bitch was quoted in our house <laughs> on multiple occasions. You know what I like about rich kids? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. That show's great. It is. And this show, I don't know. I think Looking for Alaska lacked some of the relatability of the OC. No, I don't know. The OC wasn't particularly relatable. I'm not a rich kid in California. Yeah, but it was more relatable in how they spoke to each other and how they interacted as um, friends as opposed to the only thing in each other's lives. And that's really what happens to these characters. These characters become all-encompassed with each other, um, especially Miles with Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, Miles is obsessed with Alaska, for I, sure. I think that's his defining characteristic. Yeah, that and his last words, I think, are Miles' only yep. interest. Mm-hmm. But I, I did think it was pretty interesting, too. The soundtrack of this show was phenomenal, I thought. And actually, I thought it was one of the highlights for me was all of the music in Looking for Alaska. Early 2000s, we had great music. Yeah, and it's funny because these producers actually recycled a lot of the stuff from the OC soundtracks, that vibe of, like, Sufjan Stevens and Death Cab, but they them as like even sadder covers Mm -hmm. death cab's already sad gloomy music like you don't need to make this even sadder but they did 
Yeah, they they went for it all out. And I did like how most of the covers were done by females in the show. I thought it gave it a certain mm. vibe that I really appreciated. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the characters. Okay. What did you think of our main character, who we see the world through his eyes, Miles Mr. Pudge? <laughs> I don't know. So, okay, in the book, the book is first-person narration from Pudge's perspective. Yes. So I actually liked that we got out of Pudge's head in the TV series. It's a lot longer. The book is only around 200 pages, so it's a rather short book. And the TV series, you know, you have eight full hours here. And I liked that not everything was from Pudge's mind, which allowed us to have more moments with these characters. Because Pudge, to me, is... I don't know. Maybe he is an authentic 16-year-old boy, but... He's not a particularly interesting one. He has no driving force except for sort of this obsession with Alaska that feels unhealthy and odd. Yeah, he comes... So the story starts with him moving to uh, this boarding school from his old public high school where he had no friends. And he comes to this boarding school and all he wants is a group of friends. And I just kept thinking in my head, if you had a personality, you would have more friends. Mm. And if you had some interests and hobbies of your own, maybe people would have something to talk to you about. Is that harsh? I don't think so. (laughs) I think it's true. Did you really? What does Miles bring to a friendship? I don't know. I don't want to hang out with him. Exactly. Like, oh my God. And maybe it is harsh. He's a 16-year-old kid and everyone gets to grow up at some point unless you're Alaska, but I can relate to not wanting to hang out with Miles. Yes, agreed. Mm. Yeah, and just Alaska becomes his focal point. So how do you feel about Alaska as a character? So I think in order to talk about Alaska, we have to talk about the trope of the manic pixie dream girl. We do. And for anyone who is unfamiliar with exactly what that is, the manic pixie dream girl is this character that is normally written by men And she is an offbeat girl with an eccentric personality. She is always gorgeous. There are no um, fives that are Manic Pixie Dream Girls. There are always tens. And basically her function in a story is for the male protagonist to have some growth around him. She is a static character. She doesn't change. No story arc for her. Her entire function is to have the males who interact with her grow and change. And um, I think Alaska fits this bill perfectly. To me, she is not written as a real character. She is written as this perfect embodiment of what a 16-year-old boy would want a female to be. Yeah, especially a boring 16-year-old boy who doesn't have anything exciting in his life. And here comes this girl who takes interest in him and her whole sole purpose is to make his life more fun and spontaneous. And she's so smart and he can learn from her and she can take him on adventures that he would never have on his own. And she has a life's library and she says things like, I named myself Alaska when I was seven. It's after the word Aliaska, which means that in which the wave breaks upon. Like, come on. And she can teach him and his girlfriend how to have sex. Right. Oh my god! Because she is so experienced, uh-huh. even though he is a young virginal boy. And yeah, it's just very like you think of 
like Natalie Portman in the garden state, of this characterization that is clearly written by a man that is not true to a woman in that women are nuanced. Women, there's a lot to them. We have backstories too. And literally what just happens with Alaska is once she serves her purpose of of making Miles into a more interesting boy. Well-rounded Yes. Um, who is fun and spontaneous and can connect with people now, then Alaska can literally just go die. And she does. That's exactly what happens. Yep. As soon as she kisses him, she gets to die. Yes. And her death serves a purpose now for Miles mm-hmm. in giving him a purpose to to continue to live this exciting life so he can honor Alaska and continue to be spontaneous and he can try to seek out the truth behind her death. Yeah, it is so hard for a woman to relate to this character at yeah. all. Yeah, so it's it's cringy to me now. And, and I do think it's a problem because all of John Green's books, which I have read all of them, so obviously he's done something right because I always come back to his books. I read did everything you, he puts out. Did you read them all, though? I read the most recent one. He put out one, uh, I guess it was almost a year and a half ago now, Turtles All the Way Down, and I did read that. And that's the first book he's put out for quite some time, since A Fault in Our Stars, and I didn't like it. And it was different. The protagonist was a woman. It wasn't a man for once. And I just didn't like the book. Okay. But, but anyway, most of his books, um, Paper Towns and Abundance of Catherines, uh, they have this Alaska character where they have this man in Pixie Dream Girl. The protagonist is a young man who is struggling to find himself and to feel any sort of self-worth. And here comes this woman to come in and fix him, and then she can go disappear into the nothingness that she is. Mm -hmm. And he can go on to have a fulfilling life. Yeah. So I, I like that Alaska is like a feminist character who's introduced to us in 2005 when being a 16-year-old feminist is a more rare thing. So I think that's something that's really cool about her. But overall, hard to get on board with Alaska, I think. Yeah. What do you think of the secondary characters? Um, I think that we have the show with more time to fill some of them out. It's great to get some of their backstories. And I think um, Chip and the Eagle and Lara were really a lot more fleshed out on the show than they were in the book. Yeah, I would even say it felt towards the end as if Chip was becoming something of a protagonist. Yeah, he felt the most relatable by the end, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I like that we got more information about Chip and his backstory. Um, You know, we learn about his mom, which you also learn about his mom and how they live in a trailer. Um, So there's a lot of, there's a lot there about like socioeconomic class when it comes to like Chip and Alaska, who come from very poor families and poor neighborhoods, where Miles comes from a more middle class family. And you sort of see like, their relationships with their parents and how those play out differently. But I thought Chip was like a really, Chip was a well-drawn complex character, more so in the show than he was in the book because we got more time with him. But I think that there are moments where I found Chip really hard to like. He dies on this moral high ground of like Alaska's the rat and heretofore I can't treat her like a human anymore. Yeah, what is this, the mafia? Right, it was very strange. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there are moments that you see Chip as this kid who's come from a really hard background has had a lot of issues with his own father and you can sort of see how he has molded himself into this really hardened person on the outside but has these like really deep feelings on the inside yeah and he's a black man living in the american south his girlfriend is white and he is not permitted to take her to her debutante ball because of his race and his class status um so you can see really where his chip on his shoulder comes from Ah, do you wonder? I wonder if he named him that on purpose. I am unclear as to that fact, but that does seem to be one of his defining characteristics is the chip on his shoulder. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I I really love the eagle. Me too. Oh my god. So I love Timothy Simons, who plays the eagle from his days playing Jonah Ryan on Veep. And I really as and as a person who is much removed from my teen years at this point, I related to the eagle more than I related to any other character on this show. Yeah. And I don't know what that says about me because obviously that is not what John Green and Josh Schwartz and Stephanie it Savage says you're are grown. going for. But <laughs> that is where I was. <laughs> no, I think they were going for that a little bit because I think they did a great job of humanizing him. Because, you know, you get that great moment at the end with the eagle in the bus at Alaska's funeral. It's devastating. It is. And clearly he's trying to be somebody that the students will respect because he wants what's best for them. He wants them to not drink for this reason. He wants them to have a curfew so they're not getting into trouble. They're not doing things that could harm themselves or other people. And you can see at the end he's put so much time and effort into protecting his students and literally... A student dies on his watch, which is the exact opposite of everything he was trying to prevent. And you see that like amazing human moment with him. I loved that. Agree. And I love his little story arc with um, his date at the dance. (laughs) The French French teacher. I like that too. Uh Uh-huh. Who's then also sort of hiding in the bathroom when Chip and Miles stop over. I I loved that. I thought that was all great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they did a good job with characters like that. And and Lara, we mentioned. Oh, Team Lara. Yeah. Like she just, I mean, she's the real MVP here. Talk about a great person. It was Lara. (laughs) Um, Like F you, Pudge. You don't deserve her. Her Ending up with Takumi at the end was the best thing. Yes. Yeah, so I really like that. I even really, I was interested in characters like Sarah, who was Chip's girlfriend and then ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. and sort of her experience of what it was like to date somebody who was stubborn like her and also from a very different social class than her and the pressures that she felt in that relationship and the love she felt for this character, but ultimately she just couldn't hang. Yeah, and then moving on to a character who maybe she doesn't have quite as much respect for, but is just so much easier to be with. Yeah. And that ease of being with someone, it means something in the real world, and it means something on the show. So in the book, about halfway through the book is when we get Alaska's death. So we have every chapter is leading up to, you know, it's 150 days before. And then about halfway through, we get Alaska's death. And then for the rest of the book is sort of an investigation that Chip and Takumi and Miles are going on to find out exactly what happened to her. That played out a little differently in the show, right? Because we didn't have Alaska die until the very beginning of episode seven. Yeah, and I got the impression that the show really loved the actress playing Alaska and didn't want to lose her. Oh, interesting. Because I really, and again, as much as the character is a manic pixie dream girl and that drives me crazy, she was one of the more interesting characters on the screen. And I do think we lost something with her dead in the last two episodes. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. I, I do think they were trying to... She's also to, our title character Yeah, so here. I do think there was this balance of, exactly, we have a title character that we're going to kill off halfway through the book. It's harder to do that on a TV show. So yeah, they put off her death a little bit longer on the show, for sure. Which I think made it feel a little bit less like a mystery. I think sometimes the book felt like an un, you're unearthing something. You're mm-hmm. working towards this end of finding out what happened to Alaska. So when we find out what happened to Alaska, we know that she dies, and she dies under these mysterious mysterious circumstances. What did you think actually happened to Alaska? So, I mean, I think, like the book, the show is leaving it vague up to your interpretation. 
perhaps Alaska had way too much to drink and this is just a really tragic drunk driving accident. Perhaps, on the other side, Alaska had way too much to drink and left her house um, in a really tragic moment and had a moment where she said, I just can't take it anymore. I don't want to live this life anymore. And she kills herself. I'm escaping from this labyrinth of suffering. Right. Hmm. What do you think? I think in the book, it's very up in the air. I thought on the TV show, they more went out of their way to disavow the notion of suicide. I thought the show was more pointing to this was just a tragic, terrible, drunk driving accident. And I think the way they try to do that is by showing how upset she was about forgetting the date of her mother's death and she's just rushing off to her mother's grave to put some flowers at her mother's grave. She is upset, she is drunk, and she somehow does not see the accident ahead and hits it. So I'm not sure that I agree with you. That's fair. But do you think the reason that they are making it seem less like suicide is an option is a response to all the backlash that the book got saying that they were glorifying death and glorifying suicide? Yeah, I do. And again, I know this is set in 2005 and the book was written back in 2005, but we are in 2019 and we are in a moment where... Um, Suicide rates are up, especially for young people. Netflix had a large controversy where they ended up removing some of the more graphic depictions of suicide in 13 Reasons Why. Um, If I am the show and if I am Hulu, I don't want to be glorifying that. I don't want to be in the position of saying that this character who these men love and idolatize almost to some bit that she ends her life on purpose. So I would be shocked if in this day and age right now that they were trying to say, we're not sure if this was suicide or not. I think they have to come down on the fact that this was a tragic accident. Mm. But I think they didn't. I mean, I don't think they came down either way. But it is an interesting take because John Green was so heavily involved in the show. And obviously John Green must have heard the criticism about his own book. I also think of him as like, a socially conscious white man who is like thinking about these things and it tries to be in tune with like his audience and and the you know the time period we're in and him and his brother with their vlog are very into you know be awesome to teenagers they really are don't forget to be awesome yes exactly like that is their thing they are trying to pump up the next generation of teens right I do not think that they are trying to glorify suicide no I don't think anybody's ever trying to glorify suicide but I think that was sort of the result of what John Green's creation of the book did do which I think is why they tried to fix it in the show that's so interesting. And I totally see what you're saying of like that makes that makes total sense. They should be fixing it in the show. But to me it didn't necessarily look that way. To me it looked equally as vague as it did in the book. Like this could be either or. Well, then either I'm completely wrong or they did a terrible job at trying to fix it if yeah. you're not sure. Yeah. And I actually feel like they should have come down a little harder for all of these reasons and yeah. all of these conversations we're having around 13 Reasons Why. But at the end of the day, Looking for Alaska did remind me a lot of the 13 Reasons Why experience of like we're talking about teen suicide and we're still painting Alaska to be this like beautiful character who is going to like live on in Miles and in his stories. I thought the one great thing that they did was they didn't give Alaska last words. 
That is great because that kills Miles. Miles right. cannot take that. And I, I thought that was the most poignant thing about the whole series is forget all of the stupid last words. Forget the quippy remarks. Forget Alaska and her silly life's library. Like it, it, that the fact that they at the end of the day when you die you don't get to have this like beautiful picture painted about you. You don't get to choose the narrative of how your death happens. Um, but you don't get last words. No. Because that's the, the reality, the gritty reality of death. Exactly. Death is not this perfect picture that you paint for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what Miles's opinion of it had been for so long. Mm-hmm. So like in a very, what I consider to be like a pretty pretentious and precocious show, I thought that actually felt poignant and insightful and right. I like it. Me. I yeah. will go with that. So we're going to do a segment here now that we call Boy on the Couch. Boy on the Couch. And the boy on the couch here is Nick, who is my boyfriend and who has been sitting on the couch listening to us do this entire podcast. Nick is always listening to us talk about whatever show we are watching or or book that we're reading at the time. So we figured we'd tap him into the conversation to get a boy's perspective, too, on how he feels about the show. Hi, Nick. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me on my couch today. <laughs> so Nick, you watched Looking for Alaska with me. I did, and I did not read the book. So I'm coming in with fresh eyes as a purely television viewer. Very true. Who was your favorite character? Favorite character. So unfortunately, all the characters by themselves um, are not that interesting. But all together, I think they make they paint a pretty good picture. For example, Pudge is just this boring canvas that uh, Chip and Alaska paint themselves onto, and mm-hmm. then all the other characters add, you know, some flavor to it here and there. Um, but honestly, like, if it, if I was in the real life there, I think I would have preferred to hang out with Takumi, um, because he just, like, was interested in, I don't know, gathering uh, data about the everyone else in, in what seemed to be a summer camp, uh, and then just seemed to be the only voice of reason. And then also, Laura soon found out that Takumi was actually way better than everyone else there. And so she started dating him. Yeah, Lara knows obvi- what's up. Yeah, he's obviously, he's even killed. He like thinks through things. Um, he also has his fun with the pranks and everything, but he's just like, a, overall, I think he's a, a kind guy and just like level-headed. Um, so definitely Takumi. Nick, do you relate to Takumi? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I see myself in Takumi. <laughs> Um, okay, what do you think of Mr. Hyde? Mr. Hyde was the religion teacher. Yeah, Mr. Hyde, I thought... So, this is actually going back to um, when you were talking about Chip and how he sort of became a main character. And it's, by the end, seemed like it pushed Pudge aside as the main character. It's kind of like Chip's story now. Um, so, I thought it was interesting that they didn't figure that out um, because Mr. Hyde was kind of like the spiritual guide of the group. He's gone through this like tragic death early on in his life and he teaches religion and, and helps the kids think through these these afterlife type things and then your own mortality. Uh, and it's just like always there for the group when no one else is around or, you know, at the end when Chip has no one else, he, he comes in to save the day at Christmas for some reason. But yeah, I really like the character, but it was interesting because he spent the night with Alaska and Pudge, even though at the end it was really um, Chip who I think it should have been with it should have been chip and alaska or chip and somebody else hanging out with uh mr high that night in his cabin uh over thanksgiving break to kind of like reconcile everything at the end uh to have this like great growth moment with chip and mr high so i feel like they left that out um with because we should have been focusing on chip the whole time and not boring pudge 
so yeah, I, I just thought he was like very like ghost-like characters coming in when when people needed him. Uh, so I thought he was an interesting uh, touch on the sh- on the show. Yeah, he was. He was a great character when we got that backstory from him during the Thanksgiving scene with Alaska and Pudge. I mean, he turns out I think to be one of our most interesting characters too. Mm-hmm. Um, so since you were once a sixteen-year-old boy, do you relate to any of these experiences from when you were in high school? Yeah, so I I I went to a few summer camps, and that's what it makes me think of of summer camps. And every time, okay, and I was sort of I feel like I was a little like Pudge, where I was just like not that interesting, um, and like it just would have been a miracle for me to go show up on the first day, and then this group to let me in there, and then of course have some sort of like interest from a female, because at the time, sixteen year old Nick seemed like no one was really interested in him so of course i see where john green's coming from where he's creating this this character of like a young boy going to summer camp wants to be accepted immediately into this fun group where you get to grow and do pranks and everything and then uh somebody gives you attention who's like a mysterious girl and she makes you do cool things and all this stuff and i think it's just like this like 16 year old uh fantasy but um, definitely not real life at all. When you went to um, band camp, though, at, for your cello, didn't you get to be the coolest kid at cello band camp? Uh, yeah, so band camp, yeah, definitely. I felt a little cooler, but it's just like when it's just such a small amount of time and then you go back to reality and then it's just like, that's not reality. It's like a fantasy. <laughs> okay, so what was your favorite moment of the show and then what was the most eye roll moment of the show because we did look at each other and roll our eyes a lot while watching this oh well i i didn't roll my eyes as much as be outraged at pudge and just over and over again lara just kept being like oh i will take care of your concussion i'll be here with you after the death of your friend and he just does not give a shit he just, he's just obsessed with Alaska. He just doesn't. He's like, I guess you could be here. Whatever. <laughs> he just doesn't care at all. And she's like, oh, you can't. Like, I'll make sure you don't die overnight and keep you awake. And he's like, nah. <laughs> and this is a teenage girl with a stretch limousine. I mean, what boy wouldn't be into that? I know. Who's beautiful and uh-huh. smart. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that definitely most. It just seeing that every time, I was just so outraged. And uh, my favorite moment, I guess, was when... <laughs> the like growth story of of, eagle, of the eagle where he shaved off his mustache and like that was like him it was like an indication of him like understanding that you know maybe not always bringing down the hammer is the best way to approach kids and him shaving off the mustaches is his way of showing that going forward i'm gonna be you know more emotionally in, t- in touch with the students instead of just trying to be this aggressive figure thanks nick no problem thanks for having me Okay, we're wrapping up here, but what was your favorite moment of the show? Oh, God, my favorite moment of the show. I'm not sure I have a great answer for this question. I really loved the Thanksgiving episode. I thought the whole Thanksgiving episode played out really well um, from Miles, you know, wanting to go home and then all of a sudden not wanting to go home as soon as Alaska gave him a bit of attention. And I thought the introduction of Chip's mom was just great. I mean, that woman, oh, she's just amazing. So I, I think the, the Thanksgiving episode was where I land on my, my favorite bit. What about you? 
I agree. I thought both elements of the Thanksgiving episode with them having a moment with Hyde and then also them having a moment with Chip and his mom, mm-hmm. I thought was really some... And maybe just because those two adult actors were just so good and smart and yes. their characters were so interesting. Um, and it really did help us like lend some depth to Hyde and also lend some depth to Chip. Yeah. So I really liked that. But you know, I have to admit, I like got a little teary-eyed at the end with the stripper prank. And it was just like so, it was like an absurd thing that they did. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I was like entertained by that. And I think as far as like a wrap up moment for the show, um, it was I a, liked that. It was a really strong ending. Yeah, yeah it agree. ended on a high note. Yep. It ended on a fun note. Mm-hmm. It ended on a hopeful note. And I think that was like the right way to end a sort of moody series. Yeah, I, I think that is a good way to put it. I also liked the coming together of the two sides of the Miles Chip side and the Weekday Warrior side at the end, all in the name of, you know, we appreciated Alaska. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for listening to Smart Women Watch. I'm Lindsay. I'm Laura. We'll talk to you soon.